What is up, everybody? Welcome to another week of Locked on Vikings. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. I'm on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can always find this show on any podcast app you like, such as Himalaya, Spotify, iTunes, whatever you like. Well, maybe not iTunes in a little bit. And if you don't like podcast apps, you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. So today, as it is June, and there is not really a lot of uh, news coming out, minicamp came and went. There's still some injuries, some things being nursed. Uh, we'll see who ends up from from the group of people who were injured still on the sideline at camp, and that's kind of when I'm going to choose to talk about that, because a lot of people are held out of OTAs and minicamp out of just like an abundance of caution, and it's not necessarily that their injury is serious, but also their injury could be serious. So there's just not a lot we can discern, like, at this point, it's just too far away from the actual, you know, meaningful reps and stuff. It's a lot of just walkthroughs right now. So instead, we will continue on with the 90-man series. If you are just now joining this show, thank you so much for listening. Glad to have you. Uh, we have been doing a series where we go over every single player on the 90-man roster. No player is too small. Uh, and going over their background and where they came from. Not necessarily how good they are on the field or like what kind of season we're projecting for them, but more kind of what they have to gain or lose in this preseason, the situations they're in and kind of the story of how they got here. So today we are going to start off with Brian O'Neill. Uh, the tackle out of Pitt, who kind of has developed a lot quicker than we all like expected, and that's kind of his story right now. But I want to take you back further to a, a little bit of like why his uh, his like brand of being this like raw, undersized, needs to put on all this weight, and like that's kind of always been his story. And I want to take you back to to when he was in high school, and he went to an all boys Catholic school, and he was a tight end slash wide receiver there. And as he is, you know, an eventual NFL caliber athlete, he's going to dominate, right? That's going to be the, the kind of where all of these stories start. The kid dominates in high school. And, and he's a really good tight end, and, and he's extremely productive, and he's just like a kind of, he's a playmaker. And he even talks about, he plays basketball as well, and he even talks about, like, playing basketball and helping with that competitive edge and like being the guy that's like, all right, I am going to get one-on-one with somebody and just make a play. And and it's a very proactive mindset. It is, I I have the ball and I need to score on you rather than like a defensive mindset, like in, especially in basketball, like you're not, he's not really thinking from the perspective as a tight end or as a basketball player of defense or of preventing somebody from getting past them or whatever. And so he commits to Pitt and he decides, and he, he redshirts like a lot of college players will. And he talks about like, all right, I'm going to, you know, make sure I make the most of this redshirt year and I don't have the pressure of playing so I can like spend a lot of time and work hard and really like hone in my craft. He's actually trying to lose weight at this moment so he can get a little bit more quick and a little bit more agile as a pass catcher. And at this moment, it seems like he's just going to kind of like work hard and try to be the best tight end that he can be. And then in his next season, his true freshman season, the right tackle for Pittsburgh gets hurt. And his coach comes to him and says, all right, well, we got a hold of Phil and it's not ideal, but you need to play right tackle and you need to start gaining weight. And this kicks off a a very storied career for Brian O'Neill that I think we're all kind of uh, familiar with where he just packs on weight as much as he can. And he comes into college like way underweight for uh, for a right tackle, at least on uh, Rivals.com that had his profile back in 2014. Uh, he's listed at 230 pounds. That is, for reference, 
what Sean Mannion weighs uh, headed into the 2019 season. So he is little and he has to start packing on the pounds. And this part is pretty well documented, but of course I'll, you know, I'll link all this stuff in the show notes, but he kicks up his workout regimen and he's knocking back 6,000 calories a day. He's setting an alarm for 3:30 AM to go downstairs and make two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and wolf them down and then go right back to sleep. He is working his tail end off to to put on weight and we've seen this story before but brian o'neill kind of encompasses it and and i i remember personal anecdote i remember when we first drafted him and when i learned all this stuff about him uh i i got just fascinated with like weight control in the nfl and it's still something that i want to just like look into and like write a whole dissertation on because i i think that football weight control is just amazing the willpower it takes i mean half of us can't even stick to a diet where we're like not allowed to eat cake on sundays and and this guy is is controlling each and everything he puts into his body and a huge workout regimen and everything and it works he gains a bunch of weight and he plays at right tackle and by the end of his career at Pitt, he's actually like an appropriately sized right tackle now for the NFL he's way too small and we're going to get to that in a second but he's you know able to play in college and he's got kind of a murderer's row to go against of edge rushers throughout the ACC. I mean, you've got all the NC State guys like Bradley Chubb and other people who've been drafted there. You had the, you know, the crazy Clemson players that have come in and out of, you know, a, a lot of these guys have ended up in the NFL that Brian O'Neill is still having to block against now. Not to mention getting his name on the map with a couple of interesting, fun little trick plays. And and I do kind of think that this like affects the entire trajectory of his career, even though they're plays that don't really mean anything to his like ability to play offensive line. And they're not anything that an NFL team is really going to ask him to do maybe, but once for tricksiness, you know, he runs like an end around and scores a touchdown. Like that is going to get his name in headlines. It's going to get his name on, on the desks of scouts. And then they can go look at his performance, which is pretty good for a college tackle that's supposed to be really undersized even though he had a bunch of technique issues and he came out super raw he still like has enough of a reputation to get himself mentioned in the upper echelon of offensive linemen in his class and this gets him drafted in the second round by the vikings which was about where he was projected to go and he shows up to camp even heavier than when he was drafted by the time he hits camp he's talking about how he's like around like 300 and I think he's like 307 now, and I think that's probably about where he's going to be, which is like smaller than you'll want, I think, for like a right tackle. Uh, but it's not bad. But like I said, he's raw. He has some technique things to work out, and he's still trying to gain more weight, and he's still trying to, you know, get used to the position that he didn't play in high school and all that. And so he comes in with the kind of understanding that like, all right, you're not going to play. And then cut to week two, he's standing on the sideline in Lambeau Field, and he uh, watches Rashad Hill after a, a, a run play, not, he's not getting up. And he looks over to his position coach, uh, and he kind of is like, oh, no, Rashad's down. And the position coach just kind of gives him a knowing nod. And and we all know what that means, and Brian O'Neill has to put the jitters away, put the nerves away, put all the, the youthful energy away, go play football in the NFL. And he pops into the game, and he plays reasonably, and uh, by, by mid-season or so, he's actually starting. And this kind of brings us to where we are now with Brian O'Neill. He has kind of gone from... A, a tight end trying to shed weight to to get quicker all the way to a 307-ish pound right tackle that actually has a solid season, especially for a rookie. And somebody with a lot to improve on yet and still has a lot of strength stuff and still needs to get his pad level and, and he kind of gives up a lot of steps and stuff. 
but he is now the entrenched starting right tackle for the Minnesota Vikings. He would maybe be in a formal competition with Rashad Hill, or an informal competition with Rashad Hill here. Uh, if, you know, if, if Rashad Hill, like, does outplay him through the preseason and maybe he gets to start, like, that's not impossible, but that's definitely not where we're at headed into camp. Something we need to change before that becomes the dynamic. In all likelihood, we see a preseason where Brian O'Neill just tries to get better and stay healthy and keep that weight on and and just kind of improve as a player without the added pressure of a position battle. A pretty slick place for a guy to be who came out of uh, came out of the draft, you know, with everybody wondering if he was like too raw to play. His like this is a nice moment to sit back and just appreciate how far he exceeded those expectations. And now it's time to try to exceed the ex- expectations of a second round pick in general. So I am going to step away to an ad break, and when I come back, we will talk about the Odenabo brothers. I will see you all in a second. All right, welcome back. So there's a couple brothers on the Vikings, and I figured it would just be like not right at all if I didn't do them together. So the rest of the episode is going to be about the Odenabo family. So the patriarch and matriarch of the Odenabo family, Linda and Thomas, they moved to the United States in the 1990s, and they wanted to keep their boys occupied and out of trouble, so they signed them up for a bunch of sports. And, uh, so Ifadi is the middle child and he wanted to play football and he goes to his parents. He says, I want to play football. And his parents were like, no, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? Like there's like, you get concussions and football's too violent. And of course, you know, this is a story that we've heard quite a bit amongst all of these football players. A lot of parents are like uh, pretty wary about their kid playing the barbarian sport. And so the way this goes down is really fun and interesting. It might be a story you've heard before, but instead of me relaying it to you, I actually did an interview at training camp last year with Afadio Denebo himself, and I figured I would just let him tell it. So here's that. Also, this was just recorded on uh, on an iPhone uh, in training camp, like out next to the field. So I apologize for the, the audio quality there, uh, but I still think it's worth a little bit of lesser quality so that you can hear the man himself talk. So I have a question about like when you decided you that football was going to be the thing you do, how did your family react to that? Uh, parents weren't really too pleased because at the end of the day, like Nigeria is not a, they, they didn't know what football was. So um, like, oh, you find the, uh, my son. <laughs> You must focus on <laughs> academics, my son. When I was your age, I was living miles and miles away from my parents. Nothing else. No, nothing. Just school. I would go to the library and study. And that's why I was the top of my class. We didn't have sports. So you should... No, no, the sports track, football. Hey, you, after after school, you need to study. Like, Dad, like, I, I can get, get a scholarship and, uh, and play. But no. Yeah. <laughs> So, so, so I'm, I have that middle child syndrome where I'm pretty persistent, persistent. So I was like, so then eventually my parents were going, okay, okay so make honor roll your freshman year and we can think about it. So I made honor roll my freshman year and they're like, hey dad, no, we're not thinking about it. I'm doing it. So for a little context, uh, his father, Thomas, the one who graduated top of his class, uh, works now in Ohio as a public works in, in public works. And his mom is a pediatrician. So like these are some pretty driven parents. And, and so the idea that you're going to play a sport and maybe not necessarily be focusing as hard on school was really difficult for, for Fadi to convince his parents like to 
let him do that. But so he makes honor roll, like he said, and he ends up playing football. And he ends up playing really, really well as a defensive end. And in Nigeria, there is no such thing as football. They have no idea what is going on at, at their son's games, but they're there and they're they're supportive. And eventually his little brother gets involved too, and he also is playing defensive line. He plays defensive tackle because Tito, uh, the little the, the youngest son, ends up growing, you know, a, a lot bigger <laughs> than both of his brothers. Uh, and I'm gonna get a little bit more into that when we do Tito in the next segment, but for now I kind of want to fast forward to uh, Fadi in Northwestern in, in kind of his last uh, hurrah there, and he's getting ready for the draft. So after high school, he was regarded as like a really high recruit. And in even like throughout his time at Northwestern, when he starts to kind of get to the good part of that like classic college trajectory, whereby, you know, your last couple of years, you're the senior, you're the starter, you're the superstar of the team. And he's seen as one of the better players in, uh, in, in the country, and he actually does end up getting drafted. The Vikings take him in the seventh round in uh, 2017, and he ends up trying to make the 2017 Vikings. And he doesn't get there. He uh, he ends up in a position battle, in a position battle that I've actually talked about a while, a, a few times here, because Tayshawn Bauer is a part of it, Stephen Weatherly is a part of it, and they're all competing over what ends up being like one or two roster spots between them. And Ifadi Odenabo loses those uh, position battles. And in 2017, he doesn't make the team. But as he's a draft pick, and most draft picks, if they don't make the team their rookie year, like those late, you know, sixth, seventh round guys, they don't make the team their rookie year all the time, and the team pretty much always puts them on on the practice squad. And so he plays out the season there on the Vikings practice squad. And in 2018, he gets another chance to come back. Now, when he showed up to college, he was maybe like 240, and you want to be a little bigger than that as a defensive end. So throughout college, he's doing a little bit of a, ga- a weight gain process, uh, much like Brian O'Neill's, but to a much less extreme degree. He's doing a little bit of weight gain, and he's trying to gain weight, and he actually ends up kind of playing about on a maxed out frame by his senior year. And the Vikings, in his second season in the pros, are actually now asking him to move to defensive tackle and put on even more weight. And that proves to be very difficult for him. He actually has, I don't know, I thought he had a good preseason, but he ends up not making the team. Uh, and and that doesn't really feel like a fit to him. And, and when I had that conversation talking to him about it, he was just kind of starting that. And he talks, he, he talked a little bit about like, oh, you know, it makes me more versatile and that makes me a better asset and stuff. And, and I think that was him just kind of convincing himself that, yeah, no, this is like totally the best thing for me because it clearly wasn't. He doesn't uh, end up making the team. But... Instead of going to the practice squad this time, he ends up going to Cleveland, and he hangs out in Cleveland and and basically tries to uh, stick on their roster, but he only ends up in Cleveland for like three games, and then he is waived, and the Cardinals, who had... Uh, and need at the time for a little bit of extra defensive line help. I think they were going through some injuries there. They end up claiming him off of waivers ahead of where the Vikings could have claimed him. So the the Vikings wanted to keep Afadi Odenabo, but Odenabo went to Cleveland instead, and then he went on a 53-man roster, and he actually ends up playing a game and getting a tackle in an actual regular season game, which is a first for him. Uh, But he only is there for a short amount of time, and before the end of October, he is back in Minnesota. He goes back to the practice squad. But when he's waived from Arizona this time, he clears waivers, and a lot of teams want him on their practice squad. Uh, He ends up being, like, weirdly way more coveted when it's no longer a roster spot on the line. Uh, Green Bay calls him, the Jets call him, even he even works out with the Saints, but I think he didn't, the Saints didn't end up calling back. Uh, he ends up with a whole bunch of options, and so the Vikings are like, listen, we want to keep you, what can we do? 
and he says, move me back to defensive end. Defensive tackle didn't work out. Move me back to defensive end. And he and, and like Andre Patterson is involved in this conversation. So this isn't him like, you know, this isn't a Mackenzie Alexander thing where he, think he thinks he knows better than the coach because Andre Patterson says yes to this. He says, yeah, 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 that'll work out. So here he is now back at defensive end. He's been playing defensive end at OTAs and minicamp and stuff. So he's now back at defensive end with another chance to make it in a whole new like wealth of experiences under his belt after such a like weird little journey that he took through Cleveland and Arizona and now back. And uh, he has a relationship with Andre Patterson. I mean, when he was drafted, he was like excited to go with Andre Patterson. And when he came back, a big part of the reason that he did decide to come back and not go to like Green Bay or the Jets or whatever was that he liked Andre Patterson. So that relationship is going to be really important to him moving forward. But he's now back in this position battle that he has not been able to crack. He is now, you know, competing again with uh, Tayshawn Bauer and Adea Runa, who he's actually really good friends with. They have a camaraderie because they're both like Nigerian immigrants. But he has to kind of find his way to the top of this, as charming as Fadio Denebo's story is. And, it, and he's one of my favorite players on the team to root for just because his personality and, and that little conversation that you just heard a snippet of was one of my favorite of all of camp. I am really like rooting for him, but he is kind of at the end of his rope here. He is really, I mean, if you look at it from an outside perspective, and if I try as best I can to shed my bias, he is kind of somebody who's never really stuck on a team. He's now gone through, I mean, he's had that thing where whenever you play for more than three teams in one season, it's kind of a harbinger to the end of your career. And now he's kind of, I mean, he's got another chance with the Vikings and a lot of teams appear to believe in his potential because they all wanted him on their practice squad, but eventually that has to manifest itself. Otherwise his career is going to fizzle out. So when Odenabo is on the field now at defensive end, that defensive tackle experiment is behind him. It, now when he's on the field, it's there's no excuses. He's at his natural position. He's he's now in his third year in the NFL, so like the youth thing isn't even really an excuse. It is time to see what Afadi Odenabo has, and it is time to see if that's enough to make an NFL roster. So I do need to step away to another ad break, but when we come back, we will focus on Afadi's younger brother, Tito. I will see you all in a second. Fellas, we got to talk about relationships. You care about your partner, right? And intimacy is a huge part of that. So when the moment is right, don't let your body get in the way. Don't be afraid to get a little bit of help. Do yourself a favor and go check out BlueChew.com. BlueChew is the first chewable tablet with all the same ingredients as like Viagra and Cialis, so you know exactly what you're getting, but in a chewable, they work twice as fast, so you don't have to wait for the moment to pass before you are ready. That's bluechew.com and check out promo code locked on L O C K E D O N. Promo code locked on for a special offer. Bluechew.com. All right, back to the story of the Odenabo family. So, Tito Odenabo is the youngest brother, but do not mistake him for little because he grew up to be like 290 pounds and he ended up being way bigger. He plays defensive tackle versus Afadi's defensive end. And so when he, so they lived in Illinois at the time. They originally moved, uh, when they moved from Nigeria, they originally moved to like Centerville, Ohio, where uh, Thomas Odenabo, the patriarch, still works in public works. Uh, but they eventually moved to Illinois. And when Tito was going through the whole recruitment process and stuff, he wanted to stay close to home. So he went to the University of Illinois and played for the, the Fighting Illini. And this created like a kind of weird moment for his parents because... A, his parents, which, who, let me remind you, 
do not know a thing about football. They barely understand it. And there are still moments where, like, they'll be in the car, like, driving their with their kid to a game or, like, driving around and, and, and talking to one of their sons, and they'll be like, I just figured out the difference between a defensive end and a defensive tackle, and, like, be all excited about it. Like, they are very clueless as to what's going on, which is an image that I find absolutely endearing and adorable and hilarious of just, like, you know, Linda Odenabo, a pediatrician, like, going in the fans, like, go football team, and, like, not really even knowing if she's cheering for the right thing or not. But supportive parents as they are, they wanted to go to all of their kids' games. And so they essentially end up spending all of their weekends gallivanting across the Midwest as, you know, one son plays for Northwestern, the other one plays for Illinois. And they all kind of have games in, uh, in like various parts of the Midwest. So what they would end up doing is they would divvy it up. Dad would go to one son's game, mom would go to the other son's game, and then they would like switch off and they would all like kind of, that's what they would do on, on their Saturdays. So for Tito, it was a really frustrating time at, at Illinois. Uh, not because of his play or anything. I mean, he played like well enough to kind of get a little bit of hype by the time he finished out his senior year and he actually gets to go do a graduate transfer, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, but because he plays for the University of Illinois, which if you are familiar with the Big Ten, is kind of a bottom feeder and they struggle a lot against some of the bigger schools. But this does kind of afford Tito in independence. I mean, he grew up the youngest, right? And and he didn't have to go through the whole, like, honor roll deal that Afadi had to go through. I mean, Afadi had, had kind of paved the way for him to just go and play football. And his parents were able to kind of, you know, they, they gave him a lot less resistance about it at first. So he was actually able to go and play football and take a much more kind of traditional road into actually being like a... a, a high-caliber defensive lineman. And then he does the classic kind of red shirt, and then gets some rotational action, and then he's in it. And then he is an actual, like, player getting a lot of TFLs, getting tackles, getting sacks and stuff for the Fighting Illini. And this stands out, because over his time there, Illinois won 16 games. That's in four years they had won 16 games. They were a doormat, and he was kind of sick of being a doormat. So Tito is fed up. And this all kind of, like, comes to a head in his final game with the, what will turn out to be his final game with with the Illini, where he gets this like totally boneheaded ejection. There is a flag after a snap. The team is like two and ten. They're horrible. Uh, and in his frustration, Tito picks up the flag and he kind of chucks it back at the ref. Uh, and and it like hits the ref in the face. And the ref ends up you know tossing him out of the game. And that's how his time in Illinois ends. That is it for him. He decides to request a graduate transfer and he's going to go play with a competitor. And so he wants to go compete somewhere where, where he, he can really get on a better stage and where he can be part of a more competitive program and not be losing game in and game out. So he decides to do a graduate transfer, and he ends up going to the University of Miami, who actually has a reasonable chance to, to compete that year. And coming from a culture in Illinois, I mean, that's a losing culture, right? Like, when you lose that many games, that's going to kind of, like, affect the way that people approach the game. It's just going to kind of affect the mood and the attitude and stuff. So he's coming from, like, a losing culture. And he shows up in the University of Miami, which the previous season, he comes in, he plays uh, tw the 2018 season uh, at Miami. And in the 2017 season, they had gone all the way to the ACC Championship and the Orange Bowl. They were actually, like, a team that was worth paying attention to. So Tito was very excited to actually, like, play amongst a pretty star-studded defensive line. They had, like, a swagger about them. You know, the whole turnover chain, the whole thing. They were flamboyant. They, they were definitely, like, a change in culture. And I think that that gets Tito to kind of buy in. And, and he thrives. Outside of another kind of boneheaded 
headed penalty that ends up actually getting him some discipline on the team sometime in October. Uh, he has a really nice final graduate senior year at, at Miami, and he ends up declaring for the draft. He doesn't get drafted, uh, but he does end up getting an undrafted free agent contract with the Vikings, and now he finds himself in a defensive tackle room that actually has a little bit of room, especially if you're going to be that kind of like practice squad understudy type. And I should mention that he actually does have like a choice here. A lot of teams are kind of uh, bidding over him in the f- the flurry of post-draft free agency. Uh, but he does kind of, he chooses the Vikings for the same reason Afadi chooses the Vikings. It's Andre Patterson. Uh, he says, you know, yeah, it's like, of course it matters that my brother's there, but that's not why I went to the Vikings. I didn't just go there because my brother was there. I went there because there's a legendary defensive line coach. And, and uh, you know, I wanted to be a part of that unit. And so he actually, I mean, there's like a little bit of space there. You know, you have Jalen Holmes, Armin Watts, uh, and uh, Jaleel Johnson as your kind of defensive tackle types. Hercules Mata'afa is in there too as kind of a wild card. And, and that's a group of people that like have not really established themselves, any of them, as like guaranteed roster spots. You know, after Jaleel and Shamar Stefan, any of those people could have like a bad, like a bad preseason would get them cut. So if Tito Odenabo does manage to, like, outplay those guys, there might be, you know, I mean, there might be a roster spot there for him, and that's not something you can say for every undrafted free agent. Now, will he? I mean, this is not me saying that I think that he is better. I'm saying that if he is better, there would be a roster spot on the line. And if he isn't, it's okay. You know, as an undrafted free agent, you do kind of, uh, some some players, especially those that, like, a lot of teams are interested in after the draft, are going to get a few chances. But we'll see if he can stick. Uh, Most undrafted free agents are just looking for a practice squad slot. So if he does make it to the practice squad, we we call that a win for T.O. Odenabo. And if not, you just got to do a training camp with your brother, and that's pretty darn cool. So... That is going to do it for this episode of Locked on Vikings. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. Do check out bluechew.com slash locked on. Do yourself a favor. Uh, in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can find the show on any podcast app you like or just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow. And until then, as always, skull.